Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm happy to have you joining us today. So these are certainly some turbulent and crazy, unprecedented, you pick the adjective, these are just wild times that we're going through right now uh, with the coronavirus. So if you're like me, I mean, our offices have been closed. I'm forced to be working from home at my little studio here slash home office. But we have a lot to be thankful for. I was just saying to myself as I'm setting up some of this equipment here, could you imagine if this healthcare crisis struck our country just 30 years ago, before the advent of the internet and at-home computers and the iPhone and your Androids and GoToMeetings and Zoom and all this technology that has at least allowed a lot of us to kind of bridge that gap uh, to work remotely, um, which just such a short time ago was not even a possibility. So... Obviously, the coronavirus has been an epidemic of unparalleled proportions uh, that has wreaked havoc on our economy, but uh, we've been able to kind of keep things moving forward in spite of that, where, you know, maybe in years past, that would not have even been possible. We would have literally had a complete and total shutdown. So what I want to address today is what the country is doing, what the world is doing uh, in response to the coronavirus. Again, I'm a financial advisor. I'm a certified financial planner. My background and my studies were in economics. So that's what I want to touch on. I certainly don't know uh, much or really any expert matter on infectious diseases or viruses or things of that nature. So I'll kind of stay within my wheelhouse here. But one of the questions I got, as I'm sure all of you are are glued to the TV or uh, even the news that's on Facebook or anywhere nowadays, is these different bills and stimulus packages that the government's talking about. And a question I got having a lot of teleconferences this week is it sounds like it might work, but where does the money come from? And just going back to the very basic question of what is money and where does it come from? Do we just kind of snap our fingers and out of thin air, it it shows up at the front door and, and everything's okay again? It might seem like that shortly as some of these government checks start being mailed out. Um, But we really need to understand where it originates from and is it something that comes out of thin air. So what I want to touch on today is really how our whole economy works and we're going to do this in about 20 minutes. But I think you're going to find it very enlightening and eye-opening to when a crisis like this strikes, how we can react and what some of the long-lasting effects might be uh, that we have to be aware of. Okay. Because what we're, we're going through right now is a case study for the ages. This is something that generations from now, people will be able to look back in kind of Monday morning quarterback situation and say, can you believe this happened or that happened or we woulda, coulda, shoulda, um, you know, until the cows come home. But right now, as we're living through it and we're having to react on the go, uh, you know, it's, it's quite a interesting story to watch unfold. So... Let's begin with what's going on here. The, the latest news that I can provide to you guys, I mean, right now it's Friday, March 27th, 2020. And just yesterday, the jobless claims numbers came out. And so that's people who are filing for the month, essentially for unemployment, saying I don't have a job. 
All right. The prior record was right around 670,000 uh, jobless claims. That happened in 1982. Just to offer you guys some context, in March of 2009, okay, so in recent memory, the Great Recession, uh, the worst numbers were 665,000 jobless claims. All right, just yesterday when the numbers came out, it was 3.28 million jobless claims. Um, so obviously that record was completely shattered. Uh, a lot of economists were projecting just because of the way that we had these quarantines breaking out and statewide shutdowns that the number would be around 1.5 million. Um, and like I said, 3.28 million people filed for jobless benefits. So it's crazy. I mean, we just saw yesterday, again, should have been opening day for the MLB. Uh, baseball, America's pastime. We have no idea when that's going to be now. The Olympics, all right, 2020 Olympics that were supposed to happen this summer have been postponed. All right, so we're seeing a lot of things for the first time that just seem so strange and um, scary. You know, there's no sports. Who would have thought, you know, we'd, we'd turn on the TV uh, in the day and age of, you know, Hulus and Disney Pluses and Netflix and everything that – the only time we wanted to turn into the TV was for news or sports. And now sports has been taken away from us. So crazy times, guys. And then when we look at, you know, the stock market, just to have as sort of a, a benchmark or an indicator of how our economy, at least here in America, is faring, we look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which, again, as of today, March 27th, 2020, is down 24% year to date. All right. So. It's, I mean, everyone's seeing, you know, the market just went absolutely bananas in, in three weeks. So it was a very, very sharp and severe dip. Uh, and now, of course, this week with the talk of the aid packages, the markets have shot up quite a bit. Um, one of the best uh, three-day stretches we've ever seen. So right now, the market, like I said, is down about 24% year to date. All right. So that's obviously that's bad, but that's not terrible. If we think about the Great Recession, okay, and, and the collapse in 2008 of the subprime mortgages and this financial crisis that we experienced from the market high in 2007 to the market low in March of 2009, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went down over 50%, okay, and that's where that famous or infamous uh, tagline came out of, has your 401k become a 201k? Thankfully, we're not there right now. Um, but is there a lot more room for us to fall or is there a lot more room to rise? We're going to have to kind of wait and see that one out. And then when we, we think about from a very, very high level standpoint, our country right now has about $23 trillion of debt. All right. That's a, a, a number people can't even fathom or grasp how big that is. If it just goes from 23 to 24 trillion, you don't even notice. It doesn't even make the news. But right now, we're about to add over $2 trillion of debt to that figure uh, pretty much overnight, which we're going to be talking about. So let's talk about when crises like this strike, what are the different uh, organizations that when we look around in a panic say, who's going to help us out right now? There's a couple that I just want to touch on briefly because a lot of people think that these are the organizations, but they're actually not. Uh, the first one is the World Bank. Okay. The World Bank is an international financial institution that provides loans and grants to governments of poorer countries uh, for the purpose of pursuing capital projects. Okay. It comprises two institutions. The first is the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development. 
And then the second is the International Development Association. All right, so the World Bank, guys, that's something that is probably a safer uh, assumption to kind of correlate to third world countries. Okay, that's where the World Bank steps in um, to try and bring, you know, water projects to Africa or, you know, when there's a homeless crisis in India, um, things like that. That's where the World Bank would be uh, more of a, a player. But as far as what's going on right now and when we look at the developed markets, the World Bank is really not going to touch that. The next one, and I've gotten questions on this, is the IMF, which is the International Monetary Fund. All right, the IMF is an organization made up of 189 countries. And so all of these countries, they come together to create the International Monetary Fund, and they all kick in money into this fund uh, based on their GDP or their gross domestic product. Okay. So the largest contributor to the IMF is the United States of America. All right, the U.S. contributes just over 17% of all funds to the IMF uh, for all those 189 countries. And what their goal is, is to just foster you know, global monetary co cooperation and create financial stability across the globe. Okay. Uh, like I said, the U.S. is the biggest contributor. Uh, you know, they most recently gave over $117 billion to the IMF for their quota. And in addition, gave $44 billion of supplemental resources to the IMF. And then that can obviously be dispersed uh, to countries based upon what their needs may be. Excuse me. So that was created in 1945. And uh, certainly creates more of a global economic system for us uh, to work off of. Sorry, I just had to turn off the phone before we get all the interruptions. So that's uh, what the IMF will do. Uh, their managing director is Kristalina Georgieva. And on March 4th, 2020, uh, she made an announcement in reaction to the uh, COVID-19 crisis we're experiencing. And said the IMF stands ready to support any vulnerable countries uh, with any lending facilities that they have at their disposal, including what they called rapid disbursement emergency financing uh, in the amount of up to $15 billion, or excuse me, $50 billion, um, but that that would be targeted towards low income and emerging market economies. Okay. Of that, the $10 billion would be available at 0% interest uh, for the poorest members through that rapid credit facility. Okay, so that's what the IMF does. So as we can see, you know, it's a it's a great organization that, that really brings the globe together from a financial standpoint. But their real purpose typically is to take care of the quote unquote weaker members of uh, the global economy. So I wouldn't anticipate America um, seeing any of those funds. If anything else, we'd, of course, probably be giving more of the funds um, to the rest of the world. So that's essentially what the IMF is. Um, again, that's not really applicable to, to a lot of the conversation that we're having uh, right now. So what I want to get to, and, and the main topic here, guys, for this week's podcast episode is going to be how America is reacting uh, to this crisis. So what happened is, and this was just brought about on Wednesday the 25th, and I'm sure you guys have all seen this out there, is an unprecedented uh, aid package worth over $2 trillion um, that's about to be dispersed by the U.S. government. And so what this is called is the CARES Act, 
and that stands for the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Security Act. In total, it's about $2.2 trillion, and it passed the Senate on Wednesday evening and now awaits the House approval, which could happen as early as today, uh, Friday, March 27th. And again, just to give us some kind of education on the matter, we have the United States Senate, okay, which is called the Upper Chamber of Congress. Um, the lower chamber is the House of Representatives, which is where the bill sits right now awaiting to be passed. The upper chamber, or the Senate, is comprised of 100 senators. Okay, So we have 50 states. Every state has two senators, and then they create the Senate. And they came up with this whole bill that um, we're waiting to be passed. And then the House of Representatives, um, those are our congressmen, and that's going to be based on uh, the population for each state is essentially how that works. So you have your congressman or congresswoman. Uh, each representative gets just a two-year term, and um, their duties in, in, include uh, introducing bills and resolutions, offering different amendments, or serving on these uh, select committees. And again, the, the total number of representatives with voting rights today is 435. And that's going to be based on uh, each state's population. They'll have X amount of representatives that go into the House of Representatives. Okay. So that's where the bill is right now. And then so it started at the Senate. It's gone to the House. Once it passes the House, then it will go to President Trump's desk where he could obviously veto it or he can sign it and uh, bring that into effect, which should happen very quickly, which is the goal here. So what exactly is this, uh, this bill? And then we can talk about, again, where money comes from. So there's this, essentially three phases to this thing. The first one, phase one, is $8.3 billion that will be made available immediately for emergency funding uh, to government agencies. That would be the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, the FDA, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, uh, the NIH, the National Institution for Health, and also the SBA, the Small Business Administration. Um, the SBA is going to be able to provide about $7 billion of small business loans just because of that phase one. Phase two addresses paid sick leave, okay, as well as unemployment benefits. Um, so increasing unemployment benefits and also expanding the pool, making it easier for people to qualify for unemployment. Um, as we're seeing, obviously, so many people being laid off whether it be from restaurants and bars to hotels to cruise lines um, to just every other job you could think of that's being impacted right now. And also they're going to offer free coronavirus testing. So that's phase two. Phase three, so where kind of the rubber really meets the road in this from a financial standpoint is huge. The first thing that they're looking at in phase three is $150 billion of aid to state and local governments. Uh, it will be based on population. That's how that, that money or that aid is going to be dispersed. And then that will be set up immediately to try and help with uh, direct impact of the coronavirus. So this is to provide for supplies, beds, healthcare workers, um, all the things to address specifically the virus. Um, and when we think about that uh, from like a, a state standpoint, here in my home state in New Jersey, um, one of the things they've been talking about is the New Jersey state punch, pension already lost $6 billion just in the first two months of 2020. All right, so uh, New Jersey, for those of you who don't know, has the most underfunded pension system in America. 
Uh, going into the year, we had about $80 billion in that fund. And from December 29th to February 29th, that lost $6 billion and went down to $74 billion, according to the State Investment Council. All right, so that's just one of the reasons there's been 11 credit downgrades um, in New Jersey over the past decade is because of that poorly funded pension um, that pre-coronavirus crisis admitted that they had about a $100 billion shortfall. And then we saw we just lost $6 billion bucks in a couple of months. And that did not include what happened at the beginning of March, uh, which obviously was an even quicker downturn. So that's the first one is that $150 billion of aid to state and local government. Next up is going to be for businesses. And in particular, what they're driving home is for small business owners. All right. So this is going to be $377 billion in assistance to small businesses. What this will include are small business loans uh, of up to $10 million per business that won't require personal guarantees or collateral. They'll be at very favorable or 0% interest. And much of those loans could actually be uh, forgiven if they're used to meet payroll uh, and essentially keep your employees on the books. Another big change, the payroll tax for the remainder of the year has been suspended uh, or deferred, I should say. And that payroll tax will be due 50% by the end of 2021 and the remaining 50% by the end of 2022. Um, there's different uh, tax credits, such as a $10,000 per employee tax credit to business owners that continued to pay their workers while they were not working. Um, so there's some other uh, benefits like that. And then there's also increased corporate charitable deductions. So these are just a few that I'm highlighting, um, but obviously doing a lot for the small businesses out there that are getting hammered uh, by America being so quarantined. From a personal standpoint, and this has been the biggest headline, there will be tax-free checks sent out across the country in the amount of $1,200 per adult and $500 per child. Those checks will be sent out within three weeks' time, okay, effective immediately or as soon as this bill gets signed. And the way that that's going to work is if you make below $99,000 and file single, you'll be getting some money back. And if you're filing married, filing jointly, and you make under $198,000, you'll also be entitled to some of this money. If you make above those thresholds, unfortunately, you won't see any of this, this aid that's coming through. They're going to be basing it off of your 2019 tax return, okay? Uh, if you have not filed yet, because they've also deferred the tax filing deadline from April 15th to July 15th, they're going to use, use your 2018 income. So for some of you that say, well, I haven't filed yet, and I'm making way more money this year than I did last year, I might be over those thresholds, it would behoove you to hold off on filing uh, so that you and your family can collect those $1,200 per adult or $500 per child based on your 2018 numbers, okay? One thing that I have gotten some questions on is, well, what if I just had a child in 2019? Um, am I entitled to that $500 figure? If you're using your 2018 return, the answer is no. However, they will add it to your refund in a future year. Uh, or, of course, if you filed your 2019 return with your dependent on there, then you're entitled to that $500 uh, per child. 
some other things that will be going on, uh, penalty-free retirement withdrawals, okay, from your IRAs, your 401ks. If you are under the age of 59 and a half, traditionally you get hit with income taxes and a 10% penalty. The income taxes remain, but that 10% penalty has been waived, okay, up to $100,000 of withdrawals. And the income tax that would still be owed, you can pay that over the next three years, or you have the option to recontribute that money, okay, that up to $100,000 withdrawal. You can put that money back into your retirement plan at any point within the next three years uh, and not be subject to any of those taxes. So that can certainly provide some liquidity for folks who need that money but feel that it's in a lockbox right now. Another thing uh, that we've talked a lot about on this show in our retirement planning segments is RMDs, Required Minimum Distributions. They have been suspended for the year 2020. So if you're over 70 and a half uh, or now over the age of 72 since the SECURE Act was passed and you don't want to take your money out because you're saying it's going to just screw me up tax-wise, you don't have to. You can leave your money in your IRA. Um, Some student loan repayments have been suspended. Uh, Charitable deductions for individuals and families have increased. And like I've mentioned earlier, we've seen a a large expansion in unemployment benefits. So that's where a lot of that $2.2 trillion is going towards is every American household in America. So obviously, we just went through quite a bit uh, in unprecedented aid package. And one of the things that I think a lot of people have expressed some concern over Um, in which I also have a bit of fear, is this $2.2 trillion is intended to be essentially a stopgap. It's meant to be a bridge from February, when we had the strongest economy in the history of mankind, into end of March, where our economy, like a light switch, was literally shut off. And so it's meant to recuperate that loss for that month or so, or what we're intending for probably another two weeks according to what the president has told us of trying to get America back on its feet by Easter time. Okay. If that's the case, of course, it's a tremendous debt, a tremendous expense to our country, but it might be enough to get us over the hump, flip back on the switch, get everybody back to work, and then allow our economy, this huge machine to get back in business and start humming and pick up where we left off uh, to some extent. The great fear is what if we can't turn on that switch? What if Easter time rolls around and all of a sudden the coronavirus is continuing to spread and that curve is not flattening, but it's actually continuing to go up? Then the government and the president will be in a very tricky situation of possibly having to tell us to stay home even longer and essentially shutting down our economy even further. And so President Trump said that he is ready and willing to go back to the Treasury again and ask for more aid if the time comes. But, you know, this is obviously a huge package that we certainly don't want to have to do this twice, three times or even more. uh, Or then we could be talking about severe, severe effects to the world's greatest economy. So along those lines, a lot of people say, what are the systems behind this? Where does all the money come from? Well, there's a couple of answers to that. So first, what we have is the United States Treasury. Okay, the Treasury is headed up by Steve Mnuchin currently. And what the Treasury essentially does is it collects revenue. Okay, so when we uh, file our taxes, and then we owe taxes and so forth, 
that all goes to the Treasury. Uh, if we're paying checks, we make them payable to the United States Treasury. Uh, if we get refunds, the Treasury are the ones that disperses that money to us. Okay, So they're essentially a, a bank in a way of collecting money and then dispersing it uh, back into the economy. All right, so that's the Treasury, and, and that kind of follows the marching orders of the president and some of these bills that get passed that control fiscal policy. Okay. On the other side of the spectrum, you have what people refer to as monetary pol policy, and that's kind of controlling the expansion or contraction of all the dollars that exist in our country or even in the world. So that's typically dictated by every country's central bank. America's central bank is the Federal Reserve System, or the Fed, uh, which has been in place since 1913. And so what the Fed does is that they have what's called a Federal Open Market Committee, or FOMC, that sets all monetary policy. It consists of seven members of a board of governors and then 12 regional Federal Reserve Bank presidents. Okay, so you've got seven governors and 12 regional bank presidents. So you've got 19 folks there that are essentially calling the shots for all the money of the world. And so what happens is they control what's called the federal funds rate. The federal funds rate is an interest rate target at which banks can borrow and lend their excess reserves from one to the other on an overnight basis. Okay. So what happens is when the Fed raises interest rates, it makes it more costly for these banks to, to lend money to and fro all throughout the country. And so there's not as big a supply of money as that kind of gets contracted and the cost of borrowing goes up. When the Fed lowers interest rates, it kind of unshackles them and allows them to exchange money uh, at a much lower cost or lower interest rate, which inflates the money supply and creates much more motion there. Okay, So that's one way that they have to kind of uh, toggle the switch there. And that's what that committee, uh, they meet eight times a year and decide what that target Fed funds rate should be. They also have the right to make emergency rate cuts, which we just saw, and I'm going to touch on that in a minute. So essentially what the Fed does, bear in mind the Treasury, again, they collect the revenue and they actually mint the money. They're the one printing the dollars or minting the coins. But we have the Fed uh, essentially calling the shots of how much should be printed, Okay. So back in the day, all the way up until 1971, gold was the basis that uh, the entire economy was based upon. After 1971, we really embraced a fractional reserve lending system, uh, which the Fed essentially told all the banks in America, you need to keep a certain amount of your deposits on reserve, okay, on hand. In other words, if I said I'm putting $10 into my checking account, for instance, the Fed might tell the bank, okay, you need to keep $1 of reserves, okay, so put $1 in your vaults, if you will, and then the other $9 you're free to lend out to other consumers to buy a car, to the Home Depot card to expand their house, or maybe for a mortgage to go buy a house. So that's kind of how the banking system works. Now let's take a look at some of these tools because like I said, the Fed, they control monetary policy by adjusting interest rates or by acting as a lender of last resort. Their interest rate uh, tools are their most effective. So on March 15th, the Fed, they dropped the uh, interest rate from 1% to almost 0%, actually 0.25 is what they lowered the interest rate to. 
That was their emergency rate cut. So if that's one of the greatest tools we have to lower interest rates, inflate the money supply, and get people access to liquidity, all right, think if we went from 1 to 0.25, that's not a very big drop. That's not a huge impact. And that's one of the big concerns is oftentimes when we look at recessions, the Fed was able to cut interest rates, sometimes about 5% to have a meaningful impact. Because interest rates were already so low, there just wasn't that much wiggle room for the Fed to play with. If we look in 2008 with the financial crisis, all right, interest rates were at about 5%. And uh, if we look at where they were just pre-coronavirus, they were at about one5 So there wasn't that much fat for them to trim uh, in the current situation. So what they did to take it a step further than that is the Fed then went and bought $375 billion of treasuries and $250 billion of mortgage-backed securities. Okay, so now they've inflated their balance sheet to over $4.6 trillion of assets. What does that do? You're saying, why is the Fed buying treasuries and mortgage-backed securities? They are some of the safest forms of debt that exist in the world. And what happens is when the Fed says, okay, we're going to buy that $375 billion, they're injecting cash back into the economy, and then they're taking those securities back. Okay, So that's what happens when they go and they buy those bonds, is they're taking cash, and they're flooding the banking system with cash, and then they're taking those, essentially those debts off the, the uh, bank's book by taking back those treasuries or mortgage-backed securities. And then the goal there by injecting that capital is it's not just, hey guys, here's over $500 billion of, uh, or over $600 billion of money for you. If you remember what I just said, we operate on a fractional reserve lending system. So if we give $600 billion and then tell the banks you only need to keep a certain percentage of that on hand, that then maybe allows them to go out and lend nine or 10 times that so that that $600 billion injection can then parlay itself into you know $6 trillion of actual money flowing throughout our economy. All right, so those are the two biggest tools that they have, guys, is going to be adjusting interest rates, traditionally down in a tough time like we've seen right now, but again, there wasn't much they could do there. And then buying back these securities by injecting capital back into the economy. Okay. Now, what that does, obviously, if we create more money, the money's not worth as much. So we can have a whole other conversation about inflation, but save that for another day. And then the other tool that's not nearly used as often and not as effective, but in a crisis like this was used, is as a lender of last resort. So again, like I mentioned, the Fed, uh, what they were able to do as a lender of last resort was contribute $1.5 trillion uh, into the repo market. And what that means is they were able to go to banks and lend them cash and accept government bonds or mortgage-backed securities as collateral um, so that long-term rates uh, would not go up on mortgages and things of that nature, Okay. So it's kind of similar to what we were just talking about, but it was a way to prevent any of this disruption in the repo market. The next thing that they have available is what's called a discount window for lending. And what this is, is again, they always want the economy to kind of operate on its own and banks to work amongst amongst themselves, okay, as a private market economy always does. 
But in some instances, they allow banks to go to the discount window, which says, okay, if you can't, you know, for whatever reason, acquire capital from another bank, you come to us, the Fed, and we'll provide that for you. Often there's a very bad stigma about that of a bank being unhealthy enough to get capital from other uh, of its peers and to have to go to the Fed. The Fed essentially erased that stigma and encouraged the banks and said, our window is open, come to us. And the reason that they were able to do that is they lowered the discount rate to 0.25%. So essentially it's equal to the Fed funds rate. So they've said, it's fine, come to us. They've taken away that stigma of, you know, don't fear that coming to the Fed window, the discount window, uh, means that you're going to go bankrupt. They want that money moving and flowing. And then lastly, they can also be a commercial paper funding facility. What that means is they can be a bank directly to businesses, which is very, very rare. They always want banks to be lending to businesses, not the Fed. Um, but that now exists so that uh, they can help directly if some of these uh, businesses can't get capital from their banks. And last but not least, they have what are called swap lines in which the Fed is able to send U.S. denominated dollars abroad okay, to other countries at 0% interest rates, which we've done right now, uh, just to try and keep our trading partners alive. All right. So as you can see, uh, this is an enormous undertaking both on the monetary side by the Fed and then on the fiscal side by the president and the treasury. And what everyone is concerned about right now is I think it's very reassuring to see that our government has gone to every length possible to try and keep our economy intact and our workers at work. But once we look at all these things that were done here, again, interest rates almost to zero and already injecting so much money in, and then the government with a $2 trillion spending bill, it does beg the question, are we running out of ammo? Okay, have we made, I don't want to say a last-ditch effort, but have we thrown the whole kitchen sink at this issue to get us over a hump and then flip the switch back on so that this economy can roar back? Or if we're not ready to flip on that switch because of a health crisis, then what's left to tap? What else can we do to essentially create money out of thin air to, to get us over the hump? So... Obviously, there's uh, quite a bit to think about here. I've just outlined um, the, the enormous aid package that's gone through. And now hopefully you have a little bit of a better understanding behind the scenes of where all that money comes from. So thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. You've listened to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I hope that in the very near future, we're having different conversations on business and personal finance and not on healthcare crises. All right. If I can leave you with one hopeful outlook, it's that history has shown us financial crises have taken some time to rebound from, Okay, like 2008 and things of that nature. Health crises or natural disasters, while very quick and very severe, often have an equally quick rebound and return to normal. And that's kind of the gray area that we're living in right now is hoping for that very quick rebound and return to normal. What the government and the Fed has done everything they can is to prevent a health crisis from becoming a financial crisis. Because if we go that direction, it could have very dire consequences. So stay tuned, stay safe, wash your hands, sing all the songs while you wash your hands. 
continue your social distancing and try and work from home. Take up a new project, take up a new gig, use the technology and the resources we have available to continue to live the most productive lifestyle that you can for you and your family. All right, I'm Brian Kaderna. We'll see you next week on another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. Take care. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, 300 Broad Acres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through PASS, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine 973-244-4420. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Passes an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.